Hello, and welcome back to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I'm the head of research at Blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. I'm joined again by Blockchain.com co-founder and vice chairman, Nick Carey. As part of our Crypto Basics mini-series, today we're unpacking the term DeFi, which stands for Decentralized Finance. While there's some overlap between DeFi and Web3, another topic we recently covered, you can think of DeFi as an area of crypto that is nested beneath the broader idea of Web3. And so we're going to dig into that today. Nick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Garrick. I'm excited to talk about this. I think one of the most confusing uh, items in all of crypto is all these new terms that we all have to kind of uh, wrap our hands around. And so I was wanting to maybe um, get you to define a different term first, which is, you know, if we talk about DeFi a little bit more in the presentation, why don't we talk about centralized finance to start with? What does that mean? And how can we sort of really, uh, I would say, articulate the difference between centralized finance and decentralized finance, first by sort of talking about the prior? Yep. Yeah, no, and it's a great point uh, you make, Nick, about the jargon in crypto, especially for people who are new. This goes back to you know the beginnings of Bitcoin and, and how to describe it. Is it an alternative currency, a digital currency, a cryptocurrency, a crypto asset, a virtual currency? All these different terms to describe the same thing. No wonder people are so confused, rightfully so. So that's what we're trying to, to do here with these series is help people understand the jargon and, and what these terms mean. And, and I think that's a great place to start. Centralized finance or traditional finance, sometimes shortened to TradFi these days, even more jargon. What is that? Well, what we mean by traditional finance is, is I think, the financial system that most people are, are familiar with, where you have a, an institution, a bank, or some kind of middleman that kind of stands between you and, uh, and facilitates transactions. So if you want to send a payment to someone uh, using a traditional bank, there's, there's an institution, an intermediary is the term we use to describe kind of that entity, the bank, that sits between you and the party that you're trying to pay, and they facilitate that payment. And one of the things that's revolutionary about cryptocurrency is the ability to, in essence, remove that intermediary, remove that bank or institution, and have peer-to-peer -peer transactions. And so we're, we're familiar, I think, with this kind of peer-to-peer -peer concept uh, you know, we see platforms like Airbnb, of course, facilitating peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, you know, um, you know, uh, apartment rents and 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 Uber connecting drivers with uh, with people who want to ride. But uh, this this is a a pretty still, I think, new concept. This idea that boy, you could do a lot of economic activity in a in a really peer-to-peer -peer fashion without a middleman kind of taking a cut uh, or needing to trust a middleman. And, and that's what we mean by traditional finance and, and centralized finance. And so that leads us to DeFi and decentralized finance and this idea that through uh, software, through blockchain technology, you know, people who want to transact with each other can do so without any institution, bank, government, company really standing between the two. Uh, and it's a, it's a really amazing, powerful way to reduce cost potentially. Uh, reduce the need for trust in, in centralized institutions who haven't always behaved well. Uh, they sometimes blow up, as we saw in the 2008 financial crisis, leading to um, loss of funds, or they behave badly. You know, we've seen trusted uh, intermediaries sometimes do things 
uh, unbeknownst to their customers. You know, famous examples of this, of course, uh, Bernie Madoff, uh, MF Global, and others. So, so DeFi really is a, a revolution in that sense, trying to connect economic agents more directly with each other, and and cutting out middleman, reducing cost, and increasing trust minimization in the system. I like that. So yeah, basically decentralized finance helps eliminate intermediaries and allow individuals, merchants, and economic actors to basically conduct peer-to-peer electronic payments and more uh, and deliver all these services over the internet. So one way to think about it is uh, essentially these applications are software that are wrapping the planet in capabilities that make it possible for anyone, regardless of the circumstances of their birth, to be able to do things like send, receive, secure, trade, exchange, lend, and more uh, using uh, wallets and software directly from their mobile devices. So basically, if you have connectivity to the internet, um, you can access an entire new financial system uh, that is broadly available anywhere uh, that there's a cell phone connection. Yeah, but I think you you hit on a really important point there that I just want to emphasize this idea that you don't have to apply or be pre-approved to access DeFi. Uh, there's a billion people or more around the world today who don't even have identity, like an identity document, which you would need to go into a bank and open up an account. So you're talking about a billion plus people who are in essence cut off from financial services, uh, unable to use traditional banks because they can't even get through the application process. What's incredibly powerful about cryptocurrency and DeFi is this idea that you know all you need is an internet connection and a computing device, and you can access financial services. There's no pre-approval. There's no gatekeeper, someone who can tell you, no, sorry, we're not going to allow you to transact or be a part of, uh, of the crypto financial system. That's, a, I think, an incredibly important feature in, in many parts of the world that, frankly, you know, in, in advanced economies are often overlooked. When people ask, what is the purpose of crypto? You know, we're, we're you know, bank accounts are, are, are relatively pretty common. Uh, You know, I don't think people always think about that. But even in countries like the United States, I mean, there's a very high percentage of people who don't have a bank account. I think it's been estimated as high as 7% of the population. So a very significant uh, portion of people in the largest economy in the world are also cut off from uh, traditional financial services um, for for various reasons. And, And DeFi certainly can help many of those folks as well. I think that's probably one of the most exciting promises of uh, the cryptocurrency industry and DeFi in general, which is basically broadening access to financial services by lowering the barriers to entry and providing an equal playing field for everyone that does participate. Um, Just this week in London, I attended um, an event that was hosted by some uh, members uh, and former members of the British Armed uh, Services that are putting packages together um, to go to Ukraine to help um, individuals uh, train in trauma delivery. And uh, they are very pro crypto right now because it's the only way they can get payments into and out of that area uh, to support these extraordinarily important humanitarian efforts. And so that's a really good example of a real world application where having a financial system delivered over the internet, deliver over Starlink um, is able to immediately deliver uh, impact um, in a time and place that's extraordinarily needing it. So. Um, yeah, I'd love to dig in a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the um, protocols uh, and money market applications uh, so we can get into some specifics. So um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about uh, Compound or Ave, which are two pretty interesting um, applications of decentralized finance that have emerged over the past couple of years and have uh, delivered on pretty strong traction in a lot of ways. Um, let's, let's dig into those. 
Yeah, that, that's that's a great place to start. So, um, so Compound and Aave uh, are, are typically described as money market protocols, and basically they are you know smart contracts uh, that live on top of the Ethereum blockchain. So these are kind of applications that run on, if you want to think of, and this is a kind of a crude way of thinking about it, you can think of Ethereum as kind of an operating system or kind of a base layer. We talk about it as a layer one. There's things that are built on top of Ethereum and Aave and Compound are two such applications in, in, in the DeFi space that have uh, proven incredibly popular and attractive of a lot of use. So what are people using um, protocols like Compound and Aave for? Well, what they enable is for, you, a crypto asset own, owner, to actually put your crypto to work in some ways um, by depositing them into uh, the Compound and Aave protocols and, and seeing real-time uh, growth in the value of your crypto assets. You can, you can basically, in essence, lend out your crypto to people who want to use it. And in, in some ways, you are becoming uh, the bank in, in a way when you do this. Uh, you're, you're deciding to you know, put your savings to work and oftentimes throughout the life of Compound and Aave, we've seen very attractive um, you know, rates that people can generate uh, by putting their crypto to work in such a way. Um, US dollar um, peg stablecoins, for example, um, have often been uh, able to generate uh, double digit annual returns. Uh, you know, right now, that's not the case. As crypto markets are depressed, the, the rates are quite a bit lower. Um, but that's that's quite attractive when you compare that to what you can get in a traditional bank. Um, at the same time, you can also borrow um, from these protocols. And uh, so if you deposit collateral, um, say you're you're holding your ETH or you're holding your, your wrapped Bitcoin, uh, you don't want to sell that, but you do want to, say, borrow uh, US dollar stable coins to maybe put that to work in some other way, uh, you can do that. So you can, in essence, deposit your ETH or wrap Bitcoin or other crypto assets into Aave and Compound and then borrow uh, a certain percentage of that value uh, against, uh, against your collateral. So these, and this is all automated and done without individuals in the middle of it. And that's pretty incredible. There's no person making a credit decision or saying no, you know, or, or having to, to, to push a button to make any of this happen. It all is automated and secured with these smart contracts um, running atop Ethereum. And that's incredible. You, 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 in essence, are just basically taking something that traditionally you needed a bank and lots of people and a lot of manual interaction to happen, borrowing and lending uh, you know, allocations, and just completely automating that. And that has huge implications for how efficient our financial system could be. Uh, you can, in some ways, think of our financial system as kind of almost a tax on the economy. You know, the smaller it is, in some ways, the better. Uh, it's it's taking less of a bite out of real productive uh, productivity. Um, so so there's a huge, I think, potential benefit to economic growth, productivity, and our our overall wealth if we can move more activity to automated protocols like Compound and Aave. Yeah, it's important to understand that the business model of traditional finance is essentially a gigantic rent-seeking system, and uh, DeFi is working to essentially create software rules. For all the people that in a traditional financial system are checking each other's work and uh, verifying all of these contracts, agreements, and everything else. And now with technology, we're able to do many of those things at incredible scale and automate it all over the internet. Um, there's another really exciting application, in my opinion, of uh, DeFi, which is um, decentralized exchanges. And uh, for the 
you know, first 10 years in cryptocurrency, if you wanted to get hold of some crypto, you either needed to go to a brokerage or go to a centralized exchange where they would onboard you. They might take some time. You had to centrally uh, custody your funds and uh, then um, trade. And you may or may not have gotten a good deal on the price there, depending on arbitrage and liquidity at that venue. So um, they're now uh, entirely decentralized exchanges. An example of that is the Uniswap protocol, which doesn't require any formal application uh, to use at all. This is a piece of software running in an autonomous way on the internet that enables individuals to frictionlessly exchange value. And I think that that is a very pioneering and interesting uh, concept. And it'll be really cool to see how uh, products like uh, projects like Uniswap um, continue to deliver uh, core services really to the cryptocurrency industry. Do you have any other um, you know things you're excited about, Garrick? Uh, maybe like uh, insurance markets or something like that? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think you hit on a really important point with decentralized exchanges around the uh, you know, ability of, of people to not have to trust an intermediary or a human uh, to not run off with their money. And, you know, your, 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 your funds in uh, a decentralized exchange are secured with cryptography, you know, blockchain, you know, technology, and are not, uh, you know, accessible by an individual and I think a, a good example we mentioned earlier, MF Global, run by John Corzine, the former head of Goldman Sachs, you know, U.S. Senator Governor, um, unbeknownst to MF Global's customers, took customer funds and speculated on European um, sovereign debt, and it didn't go well. Kind of blew up, and and you know that kind of, you know, those kinds of shenanigans can't really happen in a decentralized exchange where an individual can just make a a power move like that, unbeknownst to your customers, it's happening on the blockchain. So it's fully visible and, and you're just not having to need to trust people in, in the same way. And this has huge, I think, benefits in many parts of the world where we don't have the same institutional rule of law and protections uh, as, as you know, you have sometimes in, in, in advanced economies where there's lower levels of societal trust. It could really be a game changer for facilitating uh, more economic activity um, you know, and, and kind of help kind of, you know, bridge that trust gap we see in, in many parts of the world. Um, you mentioned insurance. We just uh, recorded a podcast with Nexus Mutual, which is a crypto native insurance protocol uh, that allows uh, individuals who are using smart contract protocols like Compound and Aave and Uniswap to actually take out insurance um, to, to guard against any kind of hack or exploit of those smart contracts. And it, it raises this question of, well, what is not DeFi? There's so many things in the crypto space that that is, you know, uh, very much, uh, you know, focused on financial services still. Um, it's interesting to kind of think about where are the lines around DeFi? We've talked about, you know, Ethereum a lot. Is Bitcoin DeFi? Arguably, I would say yes. Um, but there are things that are non-monetary in nature that maybe fall outside the scope of DeFi. Maybe something like Filecoin, a decentralized file storage platform, wouldn't necessarily be something that you would put in the bucket of DeFi. And I think generally speaking, we're, when we talk about DeFi, we're talking about these money market protocols, DEXs that live on top of Ethereum and other, uh, other smart contract platforms. Got it. Okay. I think that's helpful. Um, so just in summary, basically, why would someone want to use DeFi? Well, it might be a uh, more accessible, always on automated in some ways, more affordable way to uh, access what would traditionally have been financial services you would get 
from a centralized entity. So whether that's uh, lending um, or uh, um, or access to capital or more, uh, those are some of the kind of key use cases. And I think one of the most important uh, things to remember, as we've mentioned already, is that uh, there are a billion people or more in the world that have uh, been completely excluded from the financial services sector. And now if they have a smartphone, um, they can actually start to participate in the economy uh, powered by the internet. And I think that's extremely interesting. Um, so we've talked about some of the benefits. Let's get uh, to the other side of the coin. What are some of the concerns around DeFi? Um, you know, we talk about trust minimization, but we have seen some pretty big uh, compromises of smart contracts in the past. Um, so, you know, uh, what, what are some things, you know, consumers and people looking at this should um, should be aware of? Yep. So I, I think that's a good place to start. You know, this is new technology and it, it is um, unfortunate that, you know, there have been, you know, quite a few exploits, bugs, hacks that have led to loss of funds in the DeFi space over the last few years. And we're talking about billions in, in value. And I think that's really, really important for people who are thinking about accessing DeFi to know that this is still somewhat experimental in many ways. It's true that protocols like Compound have been, you know, running for I think three plus years now, uh, and and to my knowledge, have not had a, a loss of funds. In the case of Compound, there was <clears throat> an issue with uh, the governance token, I think, uh, uh, being being um, basically drained uh, to some degree, but it wasn't a loss of customer funds issue. Um, so even even top protocols like Compound though have had some issues, uh, is is I think an important point to make here, and and really highlights I think you know why you know something like Nexus Mutual like we were talking about earlier could be could be very interesting for for many folks looking looking at the space. Um, that's one thing to 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 keep in mind. Um, you know the other thing is that you know this is such a radically transformative and disruptive technology. That it's it certainly is raising a lot of regulatory questions. You know, financial services is one of the most heavily regulated parts of the economy, and uh, you know the idea of not having a door to knock on. There's no person to call up. Uh, you know, for a law enforcement official or regulator to call up if they have a question about something because it's just software living on the internet uh, is is really um, uh, you know blows the minds of regulators and and is is raising a lot of difficult questions around well how should this be regulated and and who should be accountable if something goes wrong uh, and and so on so there is some regulatory uncertainty around DeFi having said that I think uh, you know many regulators do recognize the incredibly innovative nature of DeFi and uh, you know don't necessarily want to see this all squashed. If this is the future of, of finance, the future financial system being built here, um, you know it's probably going to evolve and change in the years to come, as we we think about the best way to to to, to you know balance the trade offs and, and benefits of DeFi with with some of the changes and risks that are proposed. But uh, those are two kind of big issues I think people need to be aware about that this is experimental. Loss of funds does happen in the DeFi space, and the regulatory picture is still evolving. I think the most interesting aspect of the regulatory picture um, will be that, you know, it's beneficial to countries to have vibrant economies that are pro-innovation and facilitate the faster and increasing velocity of money transacting. And so if you can build an economy that one attracts great talent, but also enables individuals to create wealth and exchange that wealth, 
at a higher uh, speed and flip that money over more quickly. You have faster economic velocity, that economic velocity tends to get taxed more, but also that increases the wealth of everybody that lives in that society. So building a more accessible, faster financial system is in the interest of regulators as well. And DeFi in many ways is at the cutting edge of delivering on that um, effort. So I guess we're coming to the conclusion of our time today. Um, is it possible that, you know, maybe five, 10 years from now, decentralized finance could completely replace all our financial plumbing? What would that kind of look like? And uh, if we're to peer into that crystal ball, you know, what would you sort of envision uh, the future uh, powered by decentralized finance to look like? Yeah, it's it's hard for me to see uh, DeFi completely taking over the entire financial system in the next five to 10 years. It's financial systems, huge, heavily regulated. And, uh, you know, many people, uh, particularly those maybe who are a little less tech savvy, uh, you know, less, uh, you know, financially literate are still going to want to rely on, um, you know, companies uh, to to access uh, an interface with something like DeFi, which has a pretty steep learning curve. Um, the user experience around DeFi is not as easy as many people would like it to be. Um, you know, still today, I mean, if you look at a, a, a compound, you know, one of the most popular protocols we've been talking about, I mean, there's only 3000 roughly addresses currently borrowing, you know, USD coin, one of the most popular US dollar peg stable coins uh, in the world. You know, that's a pretty small group of people who are accessing the borrowing capability on the, the leading, one of the leading, you know, money market protocols. So, so I don't think we're going to see this take over the whole financial system anytime soon. But I do think uh, it's incredibly compelling. You know, it's open 24-7. It's faster. You know, it, it offers arguably uh, a better, um, you know, user experience in some ways in terms of, you know, uh, the speed and, and you know, even something as simple as just going on to Compound and seeing your, your, um, your balance grow in real time, uh, you know, is, is, is incredibly interactive. You don't have to wait for a month to see, uh, you know, your interest accrue. Uh, it can happen very quick and instantaneously. That's all very compelling and is part of the reason we've seen DeFi grow so quickly. And, and we talked earlier about, I just want to come back to this be your own bank concept. You know, again, think of the financial services system as a tax, a middleman kind of eating into the productive work of the economy. And, um, you know, we want to shrink that in many ways as much as we can and also put all of us ideally in the position of, of, of you know, getting more um, uh, of, 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 the, of the, you know, pie, so to speak, uh, by providing capital to the financial system, being your own bank and using DeFi to do that is a great way to, uh, I think, you know, spread the wealth of financial services more broadly. Yeah. And I think have some ownership over the outcome. And that's one of the most exciting things. So if you're new to all of this, it's definitely a good idea to set up a blockchain.com wallet. You can acquire some comp, you can acquire some Aave, and you can actually uh, use Wallet Connect to directly interact with those protocols. Uh, we'd welcome feedback on how we can improve all these things. We know we have work to do, but we also uh, welcome uh, ways we can make it better for all of our customers. So thanks to everyone for joining us. Please stay tuned for more Crypto Basic episodes uh, to support you on your crypto journey. If you're enjoying the show, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a review and share it with your friends and family. Thanks again. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate us and leave a review as it really helps boost our visibility to more listeners. Also, if you have a topic you'd like to see us cover, please get in touch at the following email address, 
podcast at blockchain.com. Once again, that's podcast at blockchain.com.